0: cast for December 11th 2017 part two of our Yopcast, featuring our 2017 poem of the year smackdown in which the 12 winners of Yop poem of the month over the past year compete for poem of the year honors the winner of poem of the year takes home a $250 cash prize a Brooklyn Poets membership a Poet of the Week feature on our website and a Brooklyn Poets t shirt. So, all the spoils of the year going to the Poem of the Year winner. After the SmackDown, we also have special readings on this podcast by last year's winner of Poem of the Year, Julia Knobloch, as well as last year's Yawper of the Year, Arthur Russell, and our Yawper of the Year for 2017, who was Emily Blair. So, hopefully, you listened to the whole podcast and hear the full range of our award winners. At the end of the podcast, of course, we will announce this year's poem of the year winner. I won't give it away, so there is some suspense as you listen to this. If you weren't there and you don't know yet, it's pretty cool. I'm sure you're just dying to find out already. Our 12 finalists for a poem of the year in this order, and some of these winners could not be present, so they had proxy readers read for them at the event who I will name as well. So, in this order, starting with December 2016, Sarah Passino, reading Max CPC, Julia Lynn Mesler, Side by Side, read by Tamara Lee, Shara Hardison, reading Dear Rabbit, Yun Wei, When Did We Begin If No One Saw The Collision, read by Vanessa Jimenez-Gab, Ginn McArter, reading I Broke Up With An Alien, Kieran Bath reading 20 Something Dionelli Antigua Re-Education read by Helen Hutner Tess Congo reading cartography Laura McGrath reading The Feminist Perspective Cindy Tran True American Sentences read by Alexis Marie Charlene Guerna, reading The Battle Between Us and last but not least Friend Ferris reading Where I'm From. So on to the action. The 2017 Poem of the Year Smackdown and our award winners from last year and our Opera of the Year from this year. That is all. Hope you like it. I'm out. Enjoy. Okay, we are on to the Poem of the Year Smackdown. There's a lot of tension in the room. It's the way. It's the way I like it. There are 12 finalists, (laughs) unfortunately four of the poets could not be here, I'm sure they wanted to be here, but a couple of them are out of the country, so they definitely physically cannot be here, but they have a proxy reader here for them, and those readers are very good, they will read their poems. So if you don't have this sheet, this has all of the names and all of the titles of the poems, makes it easy for you, but I will read them as we go. Our first reader from last December, 2016. Are we all ready? I hear some yeah. rustling. Yeah. Thank you. Our first reader of the night is Sarah Passino, reading a poem called "Max CPC." Good up for Sarah.
1: Um, so I hate to take us back to last. December, Um, but of course we had been there for a while. So This was part of a larger project called Accounting um, that was generally obsessed with the financialization of everything um, and where that logic went, but in (coughs) particular, um, a sexy accounting principle called Ceteris Paribus, um, which says that if everything else stays the same, you can balance the books. Um, And one last note. Uh, Max CPC in clickbait analysis means um, the maximum cost per click. Okay, max CPC. All other things being equal, if the phone rings on Saturday after you put on gym clothes before you've been to the gym and you do pick up and the caller who is your father does or does not ask you how to tell a story to a jury about a a child chained to a bed by a man chained to a bed as a child or b three refugees at the bottom of the mediterranean sea or c and now c seems like the only way now to save his life how both are the same not the same story but the same difference then How likely are you to one, still go to the gym or two, do your chores in your gym clothes and call it a day. America is a bird, a bird is a bell. Bells are the steamboat or apple. All else held, holding true if you spend your days in prison and Lefty, who is a man with no left hand, tells you when he reads a poet who becomes a poet by forsaking poetry that he wonders when he works cleaning the executioner's table and the executioner's hall who the man will be tonight cleaning that other table in that other hall as we all wait still for the clock to strike that other man dead if he is not, Lefty wonders, that same man. And you don't get what Lefty means when he says that same man until you are in your car, windows down. (laughs) under overpass and then you hear it like suction, like the sucking out of all the air in your body. Would you A, make that soup with kale and bread or B, order in because it's been a long day? The maximum cost per click is a pebble. A pebble is a donkey. A donkey Mm. is an ocean. If you left it all aside, just decide what we must most know, that first man is a wolf, or last, the wolf is a star. One coat equals 10 pounds tea, 40 pounds coffee, half ton iron, 20 yards linen. It is said X, or it is said Y, solve for x x is 10 10 is the dollars it costs per click now leaving all else aside if you take the linen and you do not make a coat but tuck it in around this body and you do not wail at the weight of the dead and you do not howl at how now lifting up these feet your body feels at once those other feet you have known, you have lifted, warm, still life, and how you loved them in their sweet only size, and how you held them and swaddled them tight like a bale of cotton, tight like a drum of hay. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Sarah. That was Sarah Passino reading Max CPC. Our next reader couldn't be here, but her name is Julia Lynn Mesler. You may remember her from January of this year. And her reader will be a uh, contestant for Poem of the Year last year, so it's sort of fitting. Give it up for Tamara Lee reading for Julia Lynn.
2: Yeah, actually, uh, Julia, I brought her here for my read last year, and then the next one she came and won, so that was really awesome. I'm really proud of her. Very honored to be reading. Um, also, Jason wouldn't, so now I'm forced to. You'll understand why why he couldn't when you hear the poem, but um, it's almost worse, because I, I don't mind letting myself down up here, but I don't want to fuck this up for her, so, <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. Um, Julia, uh, she works... Uh, within the criminal justice system. So that's like a little bit of context. And um, I think she said that she wrote this around the time of the Eric Garner case. And uh, I, it's called Side by Side. She didn't send me that, so maybe that's changed. If I were to wave a gun round my head out in public, I would survive. The first word on the CB to the beat cops would be white female take her alive. There'd be questions of my sanity because don't you know I'd never be a threat if I was in my right mind. I would beget care and compassion, calculated risk and purposeful action. I bet their guns would never come out. They'd plea with me and beg me to see some reason with their hands empty and if I were to disappear tomorrow, there would be outrage, outri- outcry, and sorrow. Search parties would tear the whole landscape asunder, and every stone be overturned till they found out which one I was under, and no wonder. Missing white woman syndrome. And yes, there'd be some people saying she should have stayed home, but compared to the alternative, both liberal and conservative, white women have the right to live without question. But when black women are murdered, media puts up their mugshots so that people look at them and then they say, oh, those dumb thoughts deserved it. You've heard it. You've probably said it without realizing that we've been misled to discredit, dehumanize, and minimize the lives of thousands of girls, to dismiss them and belittle them in so little words. But to be honest, I don't know where to go from here because while I have righteous anger, I will never know fear of the people who are meant to protect me. I'm still a first-class citizen in a post-racial society. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Tamara. That was Tamara reading for Julia Lynn Mesler. The poem was called Side by Side. Our next reader is the one with the chapbook on the back. It's like the chapbook was here for her poem. Give it up for Shara Hardison.
3: a selection of the longer poem that is the chapbook, and uh, if you grab one, I do ask, please make a donation to Brooklyn Poets, because they're awesome. All right. Dear Rabbit, The number of days that you've been gone suddenly outnumbers my fingers and toes. How else will I keep track? I started out showering and getting the mail, but the fire left me swiftly. Certain symptoms of hibernation are rarely shown, cause they're appalling. You'll find me under layers of sweater fuzz, Dorito dust and resume paper, dull aches, cold sweats, and the soporific effects of too much wine, the many products of remembering. Here, it is not difficult to dream, only difficult to get back, should a bear find something better to dream about. Foreseeably, each unhappy thought will be medicated I watched more cartoons today than I care to admit. I didn't trust the sky long enough to look away. I didn't know how to write about home. I suppose most days, I need, but don't do. And for that, I hope you can forgive me. The last time we spoke, you were running for president of the song. That day deserves more than others. I know the states in alphabetical order because we drove them once. The official countdown was one year left of you. Painkillers, health insurance, fluffy snowflake blankets, my squeezable dinosaur, and nearly 10,000 miles traveled just to see you do what you do. We shared more worries than there were minutes in the day. There was blight and drought and sickness in the honeybees. I asked them to please stop dying, call them back from sleep, Call them back from the dead. Call them back. I wish the dead would just pick up their phones. I want cellular memory to override the constant fading. You were an exquisite corpse, and I a sunflower there. We didn't go together, and yet we kind of did. You're all over my art. You've got some form of flair, and I just walked past my own reflection. How could I? You'd say, pop open a bottle of yourself, I'll wait. So I did. A friend should be in a frisbee and then fling it. Last night I dreamed the moon was black and blue as pitch sky against cold water. It hung lazily in a white night sky just beyond my window, which was situated preposterously on the opposite side of the house. Dreams, you'd say, Play backwards sometimes like it was common knowledge, and I'd believe you. Then we'd settle in listening to the birds and thinking up words for things that haven't been invented yet. As always, the last words you'd say hang in the rafters like soft music. Broken wings have brought down stronger birds. Sometimes I wish to be brung down. Einstein's own words on time and gravity couldn't save me. I went walking through the constellations. Can you list them? Perfectly from my own skin onto time. From my rooftop, I could see it. A person, maybe? A face? Then again, maybe not. Maybe I'm all alone. I should know better than to look for your attention. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Shara. That was Shara Hardison with Dear Rabbit. Our next reader also could not be here, uh, Yan Wei. Her poem was called When Did We Begin If No One Saw the Collision? And you may remember her proxy reader. She led the Brooklyn Poetry Op workshop last month. Give it up for Vanessa Jimenez-Gab.
4: Hello. I'm super honored as well to be reading for Yun and that she trusted me with this um, poem of hers. She has a little note for you guys. Hi, everyone. So sorry I can't be there in person tonight. I'm in Nigeria for work this week and thinking of that room somewhere in Brooklyn that's electric with poetry. So I wrote this poem after visiting the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. I think that's in Switzerland. I started thinking about the particles there that are colliding there and how this massive amount of data gets generated. And every time there's the possibility that scientists have poured their entire lives into one particular theory, only to have it disproved by the next collision. I started thinking about when people collide, how much do we really know about each other? Thanks again, my darling. (laughs) When did we begin if no one saw the collision? Sometimes I feel the electricity split through fields, farms, strip malls, barely there cities. Two sacrificial particles racing to match the speed of light, a distance measured in pieces. Was it the lead steering by gravity or current sectioning earth? Was it pulled by the magnets in our limbs that make us fold each other over and over on Sunday mornings? There must have been miles and stones to mark how far we traveled. There in the beer, the samosas, in the unwashed strawberries at the park, or that night you walked circles around the city while I calculated circumference on voicemail. I'm sorry, so sorry. If only there was the data to stop the clocks. We could compress Sundays to a fine wire We would learn not to walk through lead, not to pour a lifetime in the wrong theory. I'm sorry, so sorry, if only someone would map the circuit of your mouth to my wrist, black line, dotted arc, traveling back to the source.
0: Thank you, Vanessa. That was Vanessa reading for Yan Wei. When did we begin? If no one saw the collision, so we are a third of the way through. How's everyone doing? It feels tense. You all like, like no one's, like, it's like no one's having a good time anymore. It's like everyone is too worried about the vote. Don't worry about the vote. Just just enjoy the poems. There will be one winner and one runner-up. Actually, the runner-up will get some Brooklyn poets swag. So I mean, you're still a winner. That was so lame, but you know, I know you appreciate it, Phil. Our next reader is Kelly Ginn mccarter Give it up for Kelly Ginn.
5: So I wanted to be legit and print it out. So I had a co-worker print it for me. I don't know why I didn't think she was gonna read it. So that's one less person at work that thinks that I'm normal. <laughs> um, I broke up with an alien. This might break up some of the tension, honestly. <laughs> One, backs of knees are pornographic, but openly hairier. My alien agrees with me, or at least its sequins flash an affirmative when prompted. I hate the way "expat" sounds, and the way your tongue moves to say it. My alien, exorbis. My alien the, what's the word for inside? My alien likes to watch TV at 120 degrees. It is both warm and angularly uncomfortable for me. I try to explain to my alien our language consisting of bite marks on straws, of cadence of breathing, of Latin prepositions, of his prior world's clicking. My alien can't kiss me. Because it doesn't have a mouth. In this sense, my alien makes me feel pornographic. Or like Richard Gere. I can't decide which. Two. I used to fuck a human. The kind who pees hard and orange. (laughs) He belonged to another century with a name to match. Our timeline was hardly a line. Something more complicated, I'd rather not plot. Our last date, which I suppose was our first, involved baguettes in 14th century Paris. He knew I was a sucker for medieval European history. He hadn't apparently ever studied the subject himself. I left him at the will of the Black Death. That was the last time I fucked a human. Three, when my alien came, it came in a fog that smelled the way bubble wrap feels. I often let my alien hotbox the bedroom with his former atmosphere (laughs) so its sequins will sparkle so it stays in my cosmos. I can last seven minutes without fainting. Four. When my alien comes, it comes in a cloud that tastes like public transportation. It sparkles flattened to stale slime. It has even cut itself a mouth. Kissing it is like an asthmatic playing the harmonica. It can't speak with this new mouth. I can't say I'm not relieved. <laughs> life has congealed to my worst fear, commonness. If you told me a decade ago that alien assimilation would lead to my quarter-life crisis, I would have believed you.
6: <laughs>
5: my likeness to Richard Gere is now out of the question. Five. I'm not a one alien woman. (laughs) This discovery leads to excessive space snuffing, a habit I picked up from my former alien. It appears some vices are intergalactic. I suppose at a cellular level, we crave ingestion as cure. I say this as I vomit a comet into the toilet on my knees, which makes me feel pornographic and hypocritical. I'm feeling very human lately. I must either staple my mouth shut or leave. At night, I watch the sparkle behind the moon. My cheeks get hot and pink. I tell myself that objects are closer than they appear in the space shadows. I tell myself that sparkles are crisper than the greens and the blues. I dial my brightness up all the way up. For my exorbus life in that sparkle in the black, I'm not a one world woman. I wipe the space snuff from my nose. Mm. I've always had bankrupting taste. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Kelly again. Richard Jeer, huh? <laughs> Yeah. I remember that movie. Okay, that's five. We've got seven left. Let's, really, does everyone, let's, do we need to do, like, breathing exercises? Like, uh, that poem was really funny, and people were like, should I laugh or should I die? Let's just, let's, let's enjoy ourselves. It's December. Pretty soon you'll have lots of presents, hopefully. And maybe some presents for me. Just saying. Yeah, of course. Our next reader is a former Brooklyn Poets fellow, also a former Brooklyn Poets student of mine. So close to my heart, hopefully close to all of yours, give it up for Kieran Bath. Thank you. Thank you.
7: So I wrote this poem um, when I was about to turn 30 and I was really unprepared for that, so that explains a lot of it. But I hope that the kind of stronger message is more, um, I guess, not comparing myself to my younger South Asian counterparts here in New- um, the States, but celebrating like, how much braver I found them to be in terms of self-acceptance and um, just loving their heritage, which is something I didn't really give myself permission um, to do when I grew up in Australia twenty something. I can't get these girls out of my head. They're twenty something sirens, stenciled from the bravest part of me. A paper doll chain, shaded in my hue, burning faster, unfazed by any good Indian girl bullshit, unperturbed by blood ink honor rolls. These wildflowers mount thorns. Hell, they eat for two and grow them thick within their buds. How else to weapon within? They blossom with subversity. Here she is riding the L train, an apology streaming from her armpits. There she is wearing her mother's dowry jewels. Her Sunday best she calls it blood, sweat and questions inherited. Here I am, whitewashed. A parental dream in pantsuit and pearl studs. My culture has a time and place. My sexuality a single designation. I pull the vine of them from my bra and scatter them into tiny squares on my screen. And now I stalk them, incessantly. My alter egos dart from digital dollhouses and into my sheets. My head is pounding. I'm already a half hour late. I exhale the J with everything that's left in me and ask one of them, how do you do it? She's all toe rings and faded henna. Oh, that brown girl shit is a thing over here. Pressed up to my ribs, it's falling in reverse, she mused. She traces temple to navel. Start flattened, finish hungry for a new ending. Or new beginning, I offer. What's the difference? I'm lost in her nose piercing. I want to know about the men. A cameo of pale-limbed artisans, fishing rods over their shoulders, marching into bushwick bedrooms. We're never hunted, she corrects. I reach for her wrists, like, let me wear you. She holds a lighter to her hair instead, and it's the fastest I've smoked anything. See, now I'm inside of you, she teases. I'm trying to be a pro, but I choke. It's too late for me. I can't contain any poison not of my making. I'm too big on self-medicating, my way of being helpless. Maybe when I see them as sisters, not tragedies. Maybe when I'm not threatened by their silk throats or thirsty for their mistakes, or when the starkness of my curiosity against their cool apathy fades and I'm done bridging the gap of our girlhoods. That is to say, the cracks in my selfhood. Until then, Daughters of new world colonialism Wait for me Thank you
0: Thank you much, very much, Kieran That was Kieran Bath With 20-something We're halfway through You may have noticed All the readers so far have been women I wonder if that trend will continue today. It will, will. indeed Let's give it up for the women in 2017. <laughs> Claiming every month, you poem of the month. It's pretty awesome. Our next reader also could not be here. This is the last such reader, though. And our new intern, Helen Hutner, will be reading for her. So thank you to Helen. Uh, Dianelli Antigua, her poem is called "Reeducation." So give it up for Helen reading for Dianelli.
8: super honored um, to be reading this poem reeducation I listen to podcasts to learn about feminism watch porn to make sure I'm doing it right I dance on the bar because coyote ugly because these shoes this drink I'm almost 30 and I still think Bloody Mary is a game with a mirror Sometimes she appears at 2 a.m. Sometimes she's in the toilet, piss reflection before the flush. There is a truth in this magic. The time I took Plan B, then the other time I took Plan B, I bled for two months. There could have been a mother in me. I told no one except the man at Tacos Lupita (laughs) who asked what I wanted in my burrito and I think I said baby. I think I spun around three times and whispered a name and there was no floor when I fell when a queen flew from my womb. There was glass and napkins and the doctor saying, wake up, wake up. Thank you.
0: Well done, Helen. Damn good poem, right? That was Dianelli Antigua's poem, Reeducation. Five readers left. Our next reader is, of course, close to all of our hearts. She interns for Brooklyn Poets, volunteers her time, also takes your money and gives it to Brooklyn Poets, so, especially valuable to us. Give it up for Tess Congo.
9: Good, thank you, Arthur.
10: You're welcome, Tess Test <laughs> Tess Alexander. <laughs> oh,
9: God. Um, I have it written on two pieces of paper, because I'm messy, so. Cartography. I've had to leave so much and many behind that when I'm left behind, I feel there's less of me each time. It's not like a ghost being tethered to its former homes. It is like a ghost forgetting it ever had a home. On the platform, I told him I could help him feed his cat. Here, kitty, catnip, I said, tossing air catnip to air cat. I have to wake early, he said. Do you not want to hang out with me, I asked. I do, he said, but I've mapped out my life. There's no room. Sometimes it surprises me that I'm not small enough to fit inside someone else's world. I can take a nail and scrape any surface for ocean. I lift floorboards for pieces of sky. How many ways I can fall? How many depths can I discover inside myself? They don't tell you in biology that the moon pulls the tides of our chests, our breaths crest skin away from our ribs. I think about slipping myself out sometimes. Could my body be a door? Could my soul slip out through the mail slot? I believe in all worlds connected, as if we were all part of a bleeding watercolor map. Everything is a little blurry, but I can't be the only one who's here. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tess. Not only for that poem, but for helping us out this year. Almost every month and every week on the bridge. We have four readers left. It occurs to me that everyone is tense because everyone is listening very carefully. <laughs> is, that so, is that what's happening? That's what I appreciate that, then. Really good. They are really good. That's true. <laughs> Our next reader uh, is very special to me. She is a uh, former student of mine at Quinnipiac University, where I teach. Uh, the only undergrad performing tonight. She drove all the way here from Hamden, Connecticut. Not trying to influence you emotionally. Should, vo- <laughs> should vote for who you want. But uh, she has driven quite a long distance to get here. And the traffic is murder. <laughs> I can personally vouch for that myself. So give it up for Lauren McGrath. I'm
11: quite small. Um, I would just like to say before I um, read my poem that uh, he was my professor, so if I suck, blame the teacher. Um, I wrote this poem right after yet another one of my friends told me that she had been raped by a guy on my campus. I've lost track of the amount of my friends that have told me their stories. So... um, And a shout out to the Me Too movement that I fully support. This poem is called The Feminist Perspective. I wonder if more people slow down or speed up at yellow lights. And I wonder if he thought that her body was a traffic light. And when she said slow down, he took it as a sign to hit the gas. And when she said stop, let's take a break, he saw her as a red light. But seeing no cameras, it was one that he could blow. I wonder how many people still put change in a meter. I wonder if he mistook my drink for a meter and his roofie for change that he could just slip inside. If my friend didn't come see me and carry me away, what else would he mistake for a meter and what else would he try to just slip inside? Sometimes when guys look at me, I think they see a gas station somewhere to stop, pump twice, and then go off to their actual destination. I never understood why men punch walls when they were angry. Like, doesn't that hurt your fucking hand? And, and uh, I wonder if he hurt his fucking hand when he tried to punch down the walls my friend had put up. I'm tired of making shitty metaphors to explain that women are not objects that their bodies, our bodies, are not things to be gawked and grabbed and groped. In my freshman year English class, my 90-year-old professor looked at me over his tiny glasses and asked for the hundredth time that semester if I could speak on this from the feminist perspective. And for the hundredth time that semester, I heard the boys in my class laugh and groan and hit their desks. And each groan they made sounded like the groan my bones made when my friend collected them from the man who promised to take me home and make me feel all better. And each laugh sounded like the dry, scratching scream my friend had made when she recounted her rape to me. And each time they jokingly hit the desk in frustration, I saw the way my friend beat at her stomach and pulled at her hair as if she didn't want to be in a body that he had too been in. I wanted to scream that I wasn't seeing things from a feminist perspective. I was seeing it from a human one.
0: Thank you, Lauren. Damn good. Damn proud. I think we can all agree that teaching is damn fine. Yeah? Not that I'm claiming, not that I'm claiming that. I'm behind that poem, but I certainly wasn't not behind that poem. <laughs> we have three readers left. Our next reader, I'm oh sorry, I, I, was, I misspoke before when I said there was no other <laughs> reader not present. There is one more. Uh, Cindy Tran, who many of you know, uh, former Brooklyn Poets Fell, has a poem called True American Sentences that Alexis Marie will be reading. So give it up for Alexis. <laughs>
12: I just want to mention that um, when Cindy realized that she wouldn't be able to make this, she asked me if she should revise the poem so that it made sense coming from me, but her words are just so incredibly powerful that I said absolutely not to keep it as is and let them figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> True American Sentences. One, he looks at my name tag and asks, what's your real name? I tell him that Cindy is what's printed on my birth certificate. What's your middle name? My, I knew it was in there somewhere. Two, on Franken Avenue, he bumps into me and says, watch where you're going. Three, I stand at a bus stop and an old man turns to me. I fought in Nam, you're here because of me. Four, on Grand, he bumps into me and shoves me to the side. Five, in an Ikea parking lot, I yield. He signals me to roll down the window of my U-Haul truck, laughs, not too bad for an Asian woman, and speeds away. Six, on University Avenue, he bumps into me and says, you're in my way. Seven, in his office, I hear my therapist call me beautiful and call himself colorblind. He says my anger at him is really anger at my parents. He calls this transference. Eight, on Broadway, he bumps into me and says, didn't see you. Nine, my friend has brain cancer and enrolls in a clinical trial He asks if I would sleep with him before he dies. When I say no, he asks if I have any Asian friends who could help him. 10. On Central Avenue, he bumps into me and says, bitch. 11. A friend lends money to help me move to college. Halfway through paying him back, he says he can't help but feel like I owe him something else. 12. My mentor encourages me to embrace my youth and pursue writing. After I turn 21, he asks me if he could take nude photos of me. 13. I stand in the aisle at the end of a Delta flight. There's no room in front of me. There's no room behind me a man gets up and discovers room above my shoulder for his elbow, room in front of my ribcage for his carry-on, and room above my toes for his oxford. I say, ouch. He says, well, excuse me. 14. No is a miracle word that cured him of his brain cancer and kept saving my life. 15. Last week I heard a woman say I will only ever be someone's first Asian girlfriend, and I felt power. 16. Every time a white man went out of my life, my life got better. (laughs) 17. Every time a friend stands up for herself, I feel her power bring me back to life.
0: Damn! Well done, Alexis. Cindy would be fucking psyched. Yeah. Um, we have two readers left. Let's get, it's that time. It's like the eighth inning, even though there's twelve readers. It's like X innings. Whatever. Our next reader. Our next reader is Charlene Guer. I give it up for Charlene.
6: So again, this is the battle between us. Here we go. I stand as the architect who put you together in my thoughts. Tall and sturdy. You, the misery who enjoys my company. Late night visitor who likes to arrive at the tail end of my day when I'm dreaming. Full moons and full figure trees. I look past you when you try to incite me because every time we play, I come out losing it ends in a swirl of crying and panting, oozing you out of my pores. I am the one who ends in a swirl of panting and crying. You like to run around the place screaming victory. My attitude is somewhat handicapped after you are done with me. I've been working overtime to rinse you off my fragile skin, to drain you from my blood vessels, to kick you out of my system, but the eviction will take time, perhaps the same amount of time that it took to move you in. You are the reaction of my female friends, something I inherited from my mom. The men I never worked out with, they passed you on and you stuck like the rat traps that I keep around the house, you know, the ones that get stuck to your feet when you've forgotten that they exist. (laughs) I've tried to throw a blanket over you to dim your glow. I've wished cold hard death upon you and you disappear for some time. You came into my life when I was younger, but I neglected this idea of you. You pursued me intensely as I age, bringing despair and destruction of character and beauty with you. Now you're like a spouse to me. We fight, not like cats and dogs, but more like members of the same band trying our hardest to outshine one another. Catastrophic in every way, drainer of my summer's day glow, reason why my blood pressure steps away from the sky, third wheeler, uninvited guests. I'm ecstatic to say that our relationship is finally over. I set fire to your name, watching how the letters to insecurity cook in flame.
0: Thank you, Charlene. That was Charlene Guerna. We are on to the final reader. You may remember her from last month. It was just a month ago. She made her Yop debut and just rocked the house. She was also the last reader. She just like squeaked in because there was somebody that didn't show up. And it was only because that, that asshole didn't show up that, uh, sorry, he's not an asshole. It was just somebody that didn't, sh- I, don't e- I don't even remember who it was. But uh, it doesn't matter because uh, this person won. Uh, I'm going to hopefully try to pronounce this name correctly. I've already emailed her five times about it. Give it up for Rand Ferris. <laughs>
13: Can I put it a tiny bit lower? Sorry. just <laughs> Thank you. English is not my mother tongue. I've got the thick brows and the deep brown eyes, but my American accent plays as a disguise and overshadows my newly grown roots that have yet to turn gray. Where are you from? I'm from Jordan. Ah, from Georgia. No, I say politely, Jordan. Ah, Israel. No. This time, my answer is exerted with a pinch of anger. Palestine. Silence dances on awkward breaths and uncomfortable stares. In the moment, the conquer is mine. Later, I think I'm petty for even going there. English is not my mother tongue. However, I was born on Western grounds, and I learned first from the people that I was around. I went from seeing greenery at every corner to bathing in water that i had to turn off in between shampooing and conditioning because my mother always reminded me that our country is poorer english is not my mother tongue yet i used it out of choice and dialect even with my own family desperately holding on to what i was born into because the western world was glorified and our world horrified A six-year-old that did not know cannot be blamed, but now, at 24, I blame myself if I do not know enough. Arabic is my mother tongue. Jordanian slash Palestinian is where I am from. Underneath my crop top and Nike shoes, I wear an invisible veil and carry in my bag my biased views. Do not be quick to judge when you see me with my piercings. The way I dress, talk, and think are conscious adaptations that are ever-changing. A reflection of two cultures interchanging. Arabic is my mother tongue. Notice how my R's are strained when I introduce my name, Rant. Notice how my eyes don't hide the fear nor the pain. Notice how I'm quick to defend, quick to forget, and quick to move along. Notice how I fuel on hope to remain strong. انظروا إلي، فإنني عربية قاح اسمع كلماتي التي تعبر عن أقصى الظروف بحنانا وعاطف. امشي معي فلا نندم، لأن مسيرتي طويلة وليس مملة مليئة بقصص من كلا الطرفين، لأنني عربية bilahja أجنبية. Arabic is my mother tongue. I'll say it just once more away from my country, away from my family, but my roots still grow heavily. I now notice the beauty of the Arabic language. I now notice its ability to create a world of pure tranquility. I now notice I was young. Uh, I now notice I'm blessed. I notice I was young. I notice now that I want to show off where I've come from. Thank you, everyone, for listening. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Fantastic stuff. That was it. To go back. That was a good way to go out, thank you. Hrent, Hrent Ferris, I'm so bad at it. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. To review, I'm gonna go backwards. Uh, if you could again, raise your hands when I read your name. That was Rend Ferris, where I'm from. Before that was Charlene Guerna, The Battle Between Us. Cindy Tran, True American Sentences, read by Alexis Marie. Laura McGrath, The Feminist Perspective. Tess Congo, Cartography. Dianelli Antigua, "Reeducation," read by Helen Hutner. Kieran Bath, 20-something. Ginn McCarter, I Broke Up With an Alien. Yun Wei, When Did We Begin If No One Saw the Collision, read by Vanessa Jimenez-Gab. Shara Hardison, Dear Rabbit, Julia Lynn Mesler, Side by Side, read by Tamara Lee, and first Sarah Passino, Max CPC, 12 readers, Yaw Poem of the Month. The number to vote once again, 718-374-1953, that's 718-374-1953, 718 three seven four one nine five three you get to vote for one person okay (laughs) you don't have a phone interesting is this two votes from you oh i see i see okay if anyone else doesn't have a phone you can slip me a piece of paper you get one vote if you read you can vote for yourself that is cool uh please don't vote more than once don't be an asshole i swear to god (laughs) Don't make my life miserable. So what's going to happen, uh, while I tally the votes, we're going to have a few, sp- few special readings by uh, former winners of this award. Uh, the first reader we're going to hear from is our winner of poem of the year last year, 2016. You may remember that uh, incredible poem. It was called Daylight Savings Time. So give a warm round of applause for Julia Knobloch.
14: Hi everyone. It took me for I don't know, like I was thinking of so many of poems I wanted to read, but then I had a last minute thought, and um, so the first poem I ever read at Brooklyn Poets had to do with um, a friend of mine who, at the time when I wrote that poem, was still alive, but in not when I read it, but when I wrote it. So then he had passed away. And then I read the poem. It was the first time I ever read at an open mic, and I was thinking, what I'm going to read tonight. And I had several ones, but they were all longer than three minutes, and I'm already talking way too long. Um, so I had this thought that because in two days it would be his birthday, and um, and I'm going to read a poem about him. And it's short. It's called Leftover Ore. I thought memory had been diligently mined as I walked abandoned adits on my way out of the mountain, when in the flickering light, my headlamp cast against the rocks, leftover crumbs of ore flared up, glimpses from the past, like yesterday, when for no apparent reason, I suddenly recalled you sitting in my little red French car while we rode through Schwabing on a cold December evening, days after your birthday, two weeks before the year 2K. Or this morning on the subway, while the train crossed into Manhattan, the continuum of the sun's reflection on the water interrupted by iron trusses, when I remembered how you looked at me in the chain-rattling elevator on Kent Street with that mix of fondness, mischief, and desire I knew so well, asking for closeness, refusing commitment. We were drenched. Water dripped from our hair after a quick walk to the bodega dissolved in sudden torrents from the sky. Young boys, hands pressed against their heads, fringes flying, ran past us on the sidewalk. You were ranting about your ex, poured out detailed steps she and you would take to hurt each other in court and beyond. A few years later, I did the same with a man whom, had I listened to you, I would never have married. I would have never married. From the sheltered rooftop deck, we watched the rain fall down on Williamsburg Bridge. You hugged me from behind and kissed my neck. It was the last time I saw you alive. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Julia, passing the mantle. Um, This is stressful for me over there. Uh, (laughs) Make all your votes now. I'm trying to tally them, and new votes are coming in. It's like driving me crazy. Um, Our next reader is our Yawper of the Year from 2016. If you don't know what the Yawper of the Year is, now I'm going to tell you what it is. It is an award we give annually to a great poet in our community who is a regular yawper and also a great supporter of other poets. If you've been here before, he's probably helped you with a mic. If you've read... He does a lot more than that. He's a great poet. He's a great, uh, just a great believer in poets and people. So give it up for Arthur Russell.
10: Thank you. That's great. I will tell you this, Ron. When I won Poem of the Year, I was the last reader of the day in November. And when Julia won Poem of the Year last year, she was the last reader in November. but I'm not trying to influence anyone. (laughs) This poem is called "The The Heavier Stone. My dad died eight years ago. Our relationship has improved a lot since then. He arrives unannounced in my poems, driving his maroon Lincoln Town Car, bearing odd gifts, like a 10-pack of paper towels, plays with the baby, leaves before dinner. I hope my mother's death earlier this year will put us on a similar trajectory. I'm not asking to be reconciled. That would require a deeper well or a heavier stone. But possibly now she's dead She'll stop interrupting when I explain how an answering machine works and also be nicer to my wife. Her refugee belongings huddle in the dust bunny corners of my home as if they, not I, had been orphaned and reminisce about her orderly closets, her straightened twist ties and the pens that weren't tossed aside simply because they didn't work. I've never done well with actual people. After cartoons and pen pals, it was girlfriends in distant cities, then poetry, the ultimate girlfriend in a distant city. (laughs) I hear my daughter and her friends laughing in the living room. That is the correct distance between me and Joy. Some people jump up and wave or run along the station platform. Others dream of the wind whistling through a stony glen. Absence is the chipped paint on an old hinge whose colored strata, canonize the losses I am heir to, but need not feel until distance brings them closer. And the questions I would ask them or any of my teachers, I ask instead in private of myself. She told me that I couldn't go to Little League that day. I slipped out anyway still crying in my uniform with stirrup socks, my oiled baseball glove on my hand, and tried to walk to the game. By the time I reached Marine Parkway, the angry tears and snot had dried, and I was enjoying my brigand walk past the lawns, the stores, and intersections of our usual car route when she stopped across the street and rolled down the window of her Bonneville. And her face appeared in that trapezoid of missing glass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Arthur. Oh, I'm so stressed right now, <laughs> I'm so stressed. that's nothing to do with you it's uh I'm holding the vote in my hand. It's a very close vote, oh my god uh wow um okay, one more announcement and one more reader before I announce poem of the year winner uh our two thousand seventeen Yawper of the year. Uh, you probably know her well if you come here a lot. She reads here quite often. She's a fantastic poet, one of the funniest, wittiest poets that we have, published in the Brooklyn Poets Anthology, and also a great supporter of other poets. She is part of the Sweet Action Poetry Collective, run or founded, I think, by Julie Hart, and uh, was instrumental in designing their chapbook, which just came out this year. So give a warm welcome and a big cheers for Emily Blair, our 2017 <laughs> Opera of the Year.
15: Like though to take this opportunity to thank Jason um, and Brooklyn Poets, and I was coming to the YOP and workshops and the readings for a long time before I realized how much of Brooklyn Poets was—I thought was some huge organization. <laughs> before I realized that a lot of it was Jason doing a lot of it, and um, I'd just like to give him a round of applause right now. <laughs> and the board and volunteers and everybody else and including the the audience here Um, I think the yop is just a wonderful place and it always makes me believe in poetry as this space of possibility um, where we can really listen to one another and it was great to hear all the poems tonight so why don't we give the yop (laughs) So um, I am going to read a poem, one more poem, (laughs) Um, and uh, speaking of place of possibility. It's also a place where you, I've always felt you can try out something, see if it's working or not, uh, watch your people's faces, um, see if they look like they understand. Um, so this poem is sort of in that spirit. It's something I've been working on about time travel, which I've been thinking about a lot this year. as <laughs> Right? Um, and for any Star Trek fans in the audience, it is um, it, the original title was The Guardian of Forever, you know, that glowing donut that they jumped through, Anyway, okay. Time travel isn't easy. Controls malfunction, magic fizzles, sometimes you simply forget to believe. Arrive too late, too soon, or too frazzled to fix history. You have to catch that butterfly right before it flaps its tiny wings, before the perfect storm begins to brew, before the term perfect storm goes viral, before anything goes viral before the fall, before the crash, after effective sanitation, before Ronald Reagan, before that sixth grade school photo is taken, before one friend's accident, another's illness, before the first massacre or environmental disaster, before the first loss of liberty, before the prequels, before the sequels, before the remakes, before guns, definitely before Columbus, after your son learns to say he loves you, after the invention of childhood, before the police state, before the nation state, before the interstate, after modern medicine, after modern art, after animated gifts, after the discovery of fire, of DNA, of spandex, after you meet the love of your life, but before you meet your first miserable boyfriend, <laughs> after the internet, but before we become information, before your cousin dies, before your classmate dies, before anyone anywhere dies. It's important to avoid your grandfather, and also the Middle Ages. (laughs) Remember, the 90s sucked and so did the 80s. Maybe that moment when the dog stole pancakes off your plate, before the dodo went extinct, before climate change was inevitable, your parents laughing as the card table shook, just after the Big Bang. Thank
7: you. Just
10: a second, mister. No, you come up here, too, mister hey mister get up here so as i yield um, my position as yawper of the year all of the yawpers of the year i want to make a presentation of this book to um jason it's um leaves of grass by walt whitman with illustrations by edward weston so um you hold this i have a little inscription from inside the book that I couldn't fit in the book because I'm so long-winded. But it's signed by all of us. Of little inscriptions by us. Right. You know. And this is the way the inscription goes. Jason, here's this book I've had since college, Whitman's Leaves of Grass, illustrated with photographs by Edward Weston. The original was commissioned in 1941 by the Limited Editions Club of New York, which paid for the expenses for Weston and his wife, Charis Wilson to take a seven-month drive across America and back during the run-up to World War II, producing 1,400 negatives with a 30-pound 8x10 camera in a busted-up Ford that they called <coughs> Walt. On their journey, they often read Whitman's poems out loud to one another, but as Charis wrote, quote, in general, we found Walt too eloquent. In truth, Edward didn't give a hoot about leaves of grass. He was having the time of his life, end quote. An edition of 1,000 came out in 1942, leather-bound, two-volume set in identical green and white sea of grass decorated boards, each one signed by Weston on the colophon of Volume 2 in green ink. There was one listed on eBay last week for $1,100. Mm. This, is this, is n- this is not that book. <laughs> <laughs> this is a... One volume reprint issued in 1970, list price 1995, remaindered for $7.98 in 1978 when I found it at Marlborough Books, one of the gone forever bookstores on the old West 8th Street. Now I have lugged this fucker through my life these 40 years, like Aeneas car- carrying his father on his back from the burning city of Troy. Packed it and unpacked it. Anchises, right. I have given it prestige of place on bookshelves from Bronxville to Prospect Park, Syracuse, to Brighton Beach, to Maywood, New Jersey, three distinct apartments in Chelsea and the West Village before, (laughs) heading back out to Nutley in 1995, married. Now it's yours. There are things that you should know about this particular volume. The circular wine stain Glass on the cover relates to the seduction of Rosemary Hennessy in 1984. In, in a different note, the dark spot on page 74 is the palimpsest of applesauce from my daughter's finger, tracing the title of crossing Brooklyn Ferry while I read it to her in her high chair, which is my favorite Whitman poem, because grandeloquent or not, his kinship with humanity and eternity is undeniable. And he says, I am with you, you men and women of a generation, or ever so many generations hence, just as you feel When you look on the river and sky, so I felt. Just as any of you is one of a living crowd, I was one of a crowd. Just as you are refreshed by the gladness of the river and the bright flow, I was refreshed. Just as you stand and lean on the rail, yet hurry with the swift current, I stood and yet was hurried. Just as you look on the numberless masts of ships and the thick-stemmed pipes of steamboats, I looked. And in that same poem, Whitman asked, what gods can exceed these that clasp me by the hand and with voices I love call me promptly and loudly by my nighest name as I approach? Well, Jason, here you have us all, your yawpers, past, present, and future, calling you by your nighest name. We have Ricky Hernandez, the wild-ass bard of South Brooklyn. <laughs> Julie Hart, the fairhead yawper of the night who came from Minnesota with a sly wit on her knee. I, the right honorable Yapper of the Hollywood car wash on the corner of Church Avenue and Coney Island Avenue. <laughs> Washing cars right here since 1925. And Emily Blair, the newest dropper, whose poems are as devastating as Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox were when they pitched for the Atlanta Braves. I tell you, sir, I tell you, there are no gods that exceed these. We thank you for this thing that you've made to carry Whitman's mission forward and give you this book to put on your shelf to set a wine glass on while you smooch with Anna, to read Crossing Brooklyn Ferry to your daughter, and while you read it, imagine Walt on the back of the ferry seeing 12-month seagulls high in the air, floating with motionless wings, oscillating their bodies and christening the scalloped-edged waves of flood tide glinting in the setting sun. A little higher. I just said
0: thank you. <laughs> wow. Can I drop this yeah. mic? Yeah. Can you, can you? <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I died. <laughs> I'm only
13: gonna
0: opt- I feel like <laughs> I feel like that was my eulogy. <laughs> if I die before you, Scarfo, that you're gonna your eulogy is gonna have that. You have to live up to that. Uh, it was nice to hear Whitman closing out uh, the op. And thank you for this book. Beautiful. Um, wow, I'm a little bit of a loss for words. I'm not going to cry. Uh, the only part that I didn't like was Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox. I mean, how dare you? You know, you know they beat us in 1995, yes? I mean, was, you, you threw that in just to fuck with me a little bit, which I kind of appreciate. I didn't like it, but I did appreciate it. Um, so, wow, this Yalpon uh, of the Month vote was was extremely close. I'm going to check my phone one more time, because a few votes were coming in. No more votes have come The voting is done. You cannot vote anymore. <laughs> uh, we have, in fact, a couple of runners-up, because two people tied for runner-up. And there were also two people right behind them. <laughs> one, I think one vote behind these people. So it was uh, very tight between five people. Every reader got several votes. So uh, first of all, a big round of applause for all 12 of our readers who were fantastic. A round of applause for women in the year of 2017. And a big F you for Donald Trump. So uh, I'm going to name the runners up first. And uh, you guys, or sorry, you guys, (laughs) listen to me. What do I say though, you, you, you ladies, sounds ridiculous. <laughs> <Should> <laughs> you you <play> poets, <laughs> get a Brooklyn Post t-shirt, Sebastian will help you out with your choice in the back. So uh, our first runner up, first of two, not to place them in any order, just want each of them to get a round of applause. Our first runner up is Cindy Tran. <laughs> she of course is not here. <laughs> And uh, I think even Alexis left. Alexis was like, "Peace out." Cindy was here, <laughs> and now she's gone. And our second runner-up was, in some way, a prophecy. You give it up for Rand Ferris. We're on front. Well done. Came in, kicked ass. Keeping up a yawp tradition. The November winner. And. Our 2017 Yap poem of the Year, and I'm going to give this check to you, but don't leave because I haven't written your name on it yet, because <laughs> I was waiting for any final votes. Our 2017 Ya sorry Yap poem of the year winner is Shara Hardison for <laughs> "Dear Rabbit. Give it up for Shara, everybody.
3: to say anything. You
10: don't
3: have to. Um you don't have Yeah, I mean, I came in February and I just showed up and I did this and now I'm here standing here with all of you and it's fantastic. <laughs> and I just want to say that my whole writing life has changed for the better since February because of all of you. Um Aww. I mean it. I um I was my first open mic and then I took a class with Brooklyn Poets, and then I was published for the first time, and then I joined Sweet Action, and now my chapbook is in the back of the room. I made it myself. No one published it, but I made it. It's back there. Um, And I'm just so pleased to be here and to know all of you, so thank you.
0: Thank you, Shara congrats once again wow what a night thanks to all of you for being here this is the, definitely the latest we've gone it's 10:20. i appreciate you sticking around this room is amazing this is our final yawp of the year also our final broken poets of the event of the year we will be back here in january on the second monday of that month uh the workshop leader that night is joanna Furman, uh someone that taught for us for the first time this fall so that's very exciting if you want to sign up for that open mic I recommend you sign up right now because the open mic lineup fills quickly. That is all I've got for you. You've been amazing. Thank you again for this book, Yawpers of the Year. Thanks to all of you and be safe, be well. Happy holidays. Enjoy your night. This concludes part two of the Broken Poets OpCast for December 11th, 2017, featuring our Poem of the Year, Smackdown. Hope you enjoyed it. Huge congratulations to Shara Hardison, a winner of our 2017 Yop Poem of the Year for her terrific poem, Dear Rabbit. As I mentioned in the intro. Shara has won a $250 cash prize, a Poet of the Week feature on our website, which will come out the last week of the year, a Brooklyn Poets membership, and a Brooklyn Poets t-shirt of her choice. Congrats as well to Emily Blair, our 2017 Yawper of the Year, who also wins all of the aforementioned prizes that Shara won. The Yawper of the Year is an award we give to an outstanding poet in our Yawp community, who is not only good on the page and on the mic, but is a great supporter of other poets. And if any of you know Emily Blair, you know how much she does for our poetry community. She's an incredibly generous poet and person and is just a hilarious, always engaging poet. Uh, Thank you as well to Julia Knobloch, our Poem of the Year winner from 2016, And Arthur Russell, our Yawper of the Year winner from 2016, for their readings at the end of this event. And also a huge thank you to Arthur Russell and Julie Hart and Ricardo Hernandez and Emily Blair for the gift of the Edward Western photography edition of Leaves of Grass that uh, they gifted me with. Did I just say the gift that they gifted me with? Well, if I did, I don't remember. But if I did, uh, that's great. I hope you enjoyed that uh, ridiculous syntax. But thank you for that gift. It was very unexpected and very welcome. And uh, I was very touched to receive it. That is the last Yopcast of the year for Brooklyn Poets. We hope you enjoyed this Yopcast as well as all of the Yopcasts over the past year. We will be back... On January 8th, the second Monday of the month, 2018, for our first EOP of the Year, featuring Joanna Furman leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. We're excited for that i'm excited for the holidays this is the last big thing i am doing for brooklyn poets before i kick back and just get fat and drunk for the rest of the year so uh, i am looking forward to about a week and a half of doing nothing or as much nothing as i can feasibly do while still running a few things of course behind the scenes but uh thank you for listening If you don't know who the hell I am, I am Jason Koo. I'm not sure I mentioned that on this part two of the podcast, but I am the founder and executive director of Brooklyn Poets. It means very much to me that you listen to this podcast. Hopefully, you subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, If you want to sign up for the next Yop, go to BrooklynPoets.org and go to the events part of that website and find the Yop and sign up there. The open mic list does fill up quickly, so sign up as soon as possible. That is all. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoy them with your friends and family. Be safe. Be well. Hopefully 2018 is better than 2017. It couldn't be much worse. But, uh, of course, the fear these days is that it always seems to get worse by the day. So we are hoping 2018 turns some things around. Thank you. Happy holidays once again. And be well.